This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night, September 19th, year of our Lord, 2021. We're jam-packed, fresh in off a plane from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A jam-packed Beaver Stadium last night. We were on hand. We were on the field to watch Penn State take down Auburn. We will go through that in parade detail tonight. We've also got Alabama over Florida, narrowly, to talk about. But yes, we're jam-packed. And you know, I couldn't help but think as I was looking at the scores come in yet again over the weekend... And as I was trying to watch as many games as I could this morning, I couldn't help but take myself back to July. You remember July and August when we refused to take a vacation and everyone else exercised their constitutional right to take an off-season. And while they were at the beach, we were busy here toiling away telling you, hey friends, on the horizon, we have something coming. It's not just a football season, it's a renaissance season. What do we mean? We think there's going to be a lot more balance at the top of the sport. We think the Redwoods aren't quite going to tower above the rest of the canopy like they normally do. And we think there's going to be vulnerability even among Tier 1 of this year's college football field. And that all translates to several more teams are going to be in it for conference championship races, for playoff races, even though we won't talk about it until after September. And here we are. We got several of those contenders Several of those immortals already with one loss and multiple dings on their resume. We got upsets happening all over the place. We got narrow escapes happening, and we're going to talk about it all tonight. I have got like 17 games we're going to touch on in some shape, form, or fashion. We've also got to, in just a matter of moments, reveal where we're headed for the week four destination of the Renaissance Tour. What a stop week three was. I cannot wait to tell you guys and show you, in a lot of cases, what it was like last night at Penn State. Unbelievable, unforgettable atmosphere. A lot of you watched on TV. It probably came through loud and clear. The Ramen Noodle Express crushed it, just crushed it yesterday. And as good as 5-2 and two was, those of you who tuned in to the super secret but not so secret anymore because management texted me about it Friday Night Lines, Instagram Live chat, uh, it did a lot better than 5-2. and two. I want to say over the last two weeks, the leans we've given out there have gone 16-3. and three. That's not a typo, although we may be investigated before too long. Uh, Make sure you're checking that out. And it's available on replay the next morning, so if you missed it on Friday night, you can watch it Saturday. Anyway, I'm about to tell you, we already released today, before the show is on air. We're live right now. I've already put out four best bets for this week. There were some games that we had to move on earlier this afternoon. If you were following on Twitter and Instagram, you got them, at LateKickJosh. If not, some of the numbers are still there. I'm going to give them to you before the end of the show. Make sure you're following. With that in mind, let's take care of two quick items of interest for us, and then we're going to dive into rapid reaction because, as I said, we got a number of games to get to. The Renaissance Tour rolls on. We have gone to, in order, Charlotte, North Carolina for Georgia Clemson. Met a lot of you there. Then we went to Ames, Iowa two weeks ago for Iowa, Iowa State. Took it to another level. This past weekend, I'm going to tell you all about it later in the show, at Penn State, 
dozens and dozens and dozens of you came up everywhere from staffers on teams to fans to cheerleaders to band members and everywhere in between. And you said, hey, let's take pictures. Let's chat. Come over to our tailgate. That's what the Renaissance Tour is all about. Where are we headed, though, for our next stop? Well, when we were mapping out week four at the beginning of the season, and by we, I mean Director Colin and I right out here in the bomb shelter office, as we call it, uh, we were looking at this week. And I thought for all the world, Colin, I'm headed to Chicago, man. Look at this. Notre Dame and Wisconsin in Chicago. Plus, it's a noon kick, which means you can fly up there, take the train to the Soldier Field, take the train back and be in Nashville that night. But friends, plans have changed. And so without further ado or further to do, depending on who you are, let's take a look at where we're headed and where we're taking the Renaissance Tour for week four, which I mislabeled week five earlier. I would have loved to have gone to Chicago. But we got to go to Dallas. And we got to go to Dallas because that's where Arkansas is a four to four and a half point dog against Texas A&M. It's a game that virtually everyone who's looked at that line so far has said, Arkansas is an underdog. Okay, then. Oink, oink. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are loving Arkansas outright in this one. Director Colin asked me who I like. I said, Colin, you got to watch the Tuesday show, man. He said, yeah, I'm going to be here. I kind of have to be here. And I said, that's a good point, Colin. We're going to be in Dallas Saturday. This is the 3.30 Eastern game on CBS. So it's, hey, it's all in the family. Company on company headed out there. Looking forward to this. Very much looking forward to this. Hadn't gotten to see Arkansas or Texas A&M in person this year. So we're going to change that. And with that in mind, you know the drill. And the drill is, to be honest, I don't know where game day is going to be this week. But I know where SEC Nation and game day are every week. They're somewhere out there. And we put out the challenge two weeks ago. If you guys get us national recognition, we are giving you something free. I'm ready this week to announce what that free thing is. Uh, so give me, give, give me one more show probably on that. Uh, but we cannot wait one more show to let you know we had not one, not two, but three new heroes, soldiers of the show, if you will, emerge this past weekend. I want to say we had two of them on SEC Nation. We had one of them on College Game Day. As is usually the case, I'm not able to watch live, so the iJosh starts to blow up, and a lot of you are saying, hey, are you watching? Are you watching? Look at this. And I start to get screenshots. So here we are. All three heroes have been identified. So I'm going to let you know who they are. I think we have pictures of them because they were nice enough to send us pictures of themselves. So Cameron Maloney got his very, very beautiful poster there on SEC Nation. Now, this, I believe, is Ian Brannon. Uh, that may be Logan Warren. In some shape, form, or fashion, all three of you got our imagery and got our logos right there behind Herb Street and right there behind, um, who else did we have? We had a number of them. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, great job, guys. Great job. So um, I'm going to tell you what we're going to send because we're sending all of you the same thing. And anyone in the future who pulls this off, we're sending the same thing. You are going to love it. The reason I don't want to tell you is because the words that come out of my mouth will not accurately describe the thing we're going to send you. You need to see it, but you'll love it. And it will quickly become something that is unique to this show. So great job to, again, Cameron Maloney, Logan Warren, Ian Brannon. Great work carrying the banner, quite literally, for the show out there in front of the world. Okay, let's go because, man, we got so much to react to. And I'm going to start in Gainesville, Florida. Alabama narrowly gets past the Gators 31-29 to in a very good, if not classic, reminder about three different things that are a reality in this sport. Number one, Nick Saban warned you, as we said last week leading up to this game, he warned you for a couple of weeks. His team was not invincible. His team had vulnerability, but no one wanted to hear it. Why? Because you beat a top 20 Miami team convincingly. Well, A, 
how's that Miami team looking right now? And B, who cares if they did? That's one game. There may be weaknesses you have that that team wasn't uniquely equipped to expose that maybe down the road someone can. Well, Florida got a pretty good bite out of Alabama yesterday, but Alabama won, and that's what's most important. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the sport never sits still, which is something we always talk about towards the end of the year on this show as we go into what some would call the offseason. And everyone just assumes you're going to have a carryover and all your returning starters are going to get 15% better. And what you were at the end of last year, you're just going to pick up and keep rolling with at the beginning of next year. And that assumes a falsehood. And that is the rest of the sport's just going to hit pause on themselves. And then they're going to hit play the next year too. And so the sport just carries on as it always was. That's never the case. Even week to week, the sport doesn't sit still. The other team's allowed to try, is what I'm telling you. And they're allowed to adjust you know, Florida got down 21-3 in this game, and all of a sudden, Dan Mullen said, uh, that's not working, that's not, option, O-P-T-I, hey, let's run the option, and they ran the option over and over and over again, and I don't know if Bama was ill-equipped for it, I don't know if they were unprepared for it, I find that hard to believe with this being a Nick Saban coach team, but um, they had some success, so anyway, that's the second point, point. and the third point is, These things I'm holding here, if you're listening on the pod, I think you know what that is. It's a piece of paper. Uh, Unfortunately, games aren't played on them, and you have to go out there and humans actually have to hit each other, and they have to execute at a high level with noise decibels through the roof and a lot of young guys on the road who have never played there before. And so it doesn't always work out as nice and neat as it does on your local gaming console. Sometimes things don't go according to what that piece of paper says, thus the beauty of college football. I know you watched this game yesterday. You've got your thoughts. I will tell you, I had one of the most unique vantage points ever. I got into Beaver Stadium yesterday before they opened the gates. So I take this laptop right here that you're watching, if you're seeing on the YouTube channel, and I just perch myself up in someone's seat, one of 110,000 some odd people in there last night. And I was just watching the games, and I was watching Bama there in an empty stadium. And they were up 21-3 when I tuned in. I said, oh, here we go, yawn. And then all of a sudden it started. And here comes Florida. This had strong Clemson 2016 vibes to me for Alabama because that's about the last time that I remember this feeling. Uh, The feeling of they're up, but all of a sudden now here comes a drip, drip, and it becomes a steady flow, and it becomes a flood, and it just doesn't feel like you can stop it. Nick Saban, I think after that game, when they played Clemson in 2016, he said, you know, when we got big guys on the field, once they're gassed, you don't get them back. You don't get him back until next week. Now, DB, if he's tired, you can go pump some Gatorade into him and pop him back out on the field, and he's good to go five minutes later. Big guys, once they're out of gas, their tank's empty. That kind of started to happen yesterday, but see, here's the downside. I guess you can call it a downside. When you go back and you look at that 2016 game where Bama ended up losing to Clemson, I think they were on the field like 100 plays. It was right at 100 plays defensively that Alabama had to defend. Florida ran 70 plays yesterday. It was hot. It was muggy. I get all that. But, um, yeah, Bama, they were, they were a little gassed in the second half. Credit Florida, especially being down early. Normally you would think you have to throw yourself back into a game. Well, that's not exactly the approach that Florida took. Now, they didn't panic. Again, to the credit of Dan Mullen and that team, they didn't panic. But when you get outrushed, nearly 3-1 to one ratio, that's the kind of stuff that can happen. Your big guys can get kind of tired. And I'll tell you this, I'm not going to focus on it a lot. But there were some plays for Alabama at the linebacker position. There were some plays in that secondary. Nick Saban didn't really specifically mention it in his postgame presser, 
but they watch that film today, there may be some personnel decisions they have to make. A lot of you played football. Some more of you didn't play football. Maybe you didn't play because you didn't like the concept of physicality. You didn't like contact. Well, that's all well and good. That's your prerogative. But if you choose to play the game, especially if they end up giving you a scholarship, you don't get the option of turning down contact. And Alabama had some guys do that yesterday, which is about as blunt as I can put it. So it would not surprise me if you see some rotational decisions made and changed up for Alabama's defense in the coming couple of weeks. So here's what I saw yesterday. Both sides of the Dan Mullen coin ended up landing heads up at one point or another in this game. You had the side where Dan Mullen may have partially checked out last year. That's our biggest fear. And maybe he has not recruited at a level where he can replenish the talent drain that he had to the draft. And that was how you felt. I went to the Swamp 24-7 message board, just like a lot of you did when they were down 21-3. I saw what you guys were saying. But then you flipped the coin over. And you got the Dan Mullen as a brilliant tactician, a brilliant X's and O's guy. You just get him in the same ballpark, and on Saturday, he'll out-scheme you. And this roster is ready to go to war for Dan Mullen. No one inside this locker room's given up on him, even if the outside world has. And there that was, too. You had both sides of the Dan Mullen coin on display and ended up being a close loss. And you kind of kick yourself, and you say, man, if we wouldn't have gotten down early. But then you also ask, had they not gotten down early, would they have flipped the switch like they did? So it was really interesting to watch. Um, there's, there's positive that you can take away from that, but it's a loss too. You know, it's, it's several years in. This is not a first-year staff. So I've got high expectation for Florida, so I may look at this a little bit different. I know some folks out there wanted to rub them on the cheek and say, good for you. Oh, you're nearly a two-touchdown underdog, and you nearly won this game. It was a very impressive showing, but Florida lost the game too. And so it all depends on what your perspective is here. And it can be a very good thing. It's what I'm saying for Florida. I'm not trying to be negative, although many of you think I am. When you ask, as so many of you did in my inbox, what does this mean for Florida moving forward? You'll find out this week. You don't find out last week. Because really all this comes to is a loss for you in the SEC standings if you don't do anything else with it. But they play Tennessee through the Florida Gators this week. So if they run it up on Tennessee, if they look like they springboard out of this close loss to Alabama, and then there's a residue and there's a carryover impact, and they all of a sudden look like they're on a different kind of roll, then you'll know what this narrow loss meant for them. But we also know history tells us something else, and that's why this Florida team still has its future to define for itself. What history also tells us is sometimes that close loss, that narrow defeat, is as close as some teams ever get to doing anything special because they let it define them the rest of the way. So if you want to know how to define this Florida team, who was it, Natasha Bedingfield? The rest is still unwritten. Colin, don't you love that song? It's still unwritten for Florida. They still got a lot to prove, but I think they did prove a lot in this game. So I'm kind of riding the fence there. I feel both ways. I will tell you this, though. There's a thing about Florida you need to understand. We've observed this enough to where I feel comfortable saying this. Florida does not get shook at the concept of playing Alabama like some teams do. Now, I know no one out there wants to feel like their favorite team gets mentally rattled at the mere idea of playing Bama, but the fact of the matter is, a lot of your favorite teams get rattled mentally at the mere concept of playing Alabama. I've been on the road with that team. I've watched them come into many a building, and I have watched your teams, how they operate normally, and then how differently, it's subtle, but how differently they operate when Bama comes in. Florida's not like that. It is business as usual. You can feel a different 
vibe in the air, but they handle their business the way they're supposed to handle their business. Dan Mullen, the dude's never beaten Bama as a head coach, but yet he goes toe-to-toe with him about as well as anyone on average in the sport. Uh, He's just not had the roster. That's what it really comes down to with Florida. Yesterday, they get to where they're very close. You know, they need one or two plays. Alabama's just got better players. You know, if you want to spell out recruiting, that's where recruiting makes the difference. But Florida doesn't get shook at the concept of playing Alabama, and a lot of other programs do. Like, I've watched Bama come into buildings before, and you can see some of the staffers for the other team, you know, they'll start paying attention to Bama warm up. You'll start watching the players on the other team. They will actually adjust their pregame routine because they're noticing Alabama. This stuff happens. I know you don't see it on TV because it's before they go live on broadcast. That stuff happens. Florida's not like that. They know who they're playing. They got respect for them, but they don't let it rattle them. And that's why you see them last year in the SEC title game. They ended up playing Bama about as close as anyone did. In fact, as close as anyone did. For all we know, you just saw Alabama get played as close as anyone will play them this year. We don't know how the rest of the season is going to play out. Uh, they did not have Richardson at all yesterday, as it turns out. And that's something that a lot of folks, when you were looking at this matchup a couple of weeks down the road, thought was going to be a fundamental puzzle piece to maybe Florida being able to push them and ended up Richardson couldn't even play. It was an emergency only situation, Dan Mullen said post game. So you wonder if they were to, let's say, face off again in some hypothetical SEC title game, how different does that feel? That's one thing to keep in mind. But I can be critical of Alabama now. I know a lot of my Bama buddies have been critical of yesterday, partly because you all have forgotten how to win. Uh, but it's okay to be critical. I mean, you can be critical in a win. I can, for instance, I can look at Bama and I can say, there is not a star receiver on that team right now. There are young guys that have that potential, but they're not there right now. Uh, they struggle to stop the run. Let me scratch that. They struggle to stop the option. It's a lot more specific than just they can't stop someone running a football. They didn't adjust when Florida adjusted. And so, you know, that's something that coaching staff's got to look at because at some point, it could be an execution issue or it could be a schematic issue, and that's above my pay grade. They're figuring that out probably on a grease board somewhere as we speak. But as I said, the most disappointing takeaway for me in regards to Alabama was not that they got pushed. That happens. That's football. When you get everyone's best shot and you go into a place, which I still think people underappreciate how hard it is to go into those kinds of places, um, I used to underappreciate it until I got to go and experience all this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's hard. Everything about going on the road in college is hard. And they overcame a lot of stuff yesterday. But the most disappointing aspect for me with Alabama was they had linebackers and they had some defensive backs who, whose play was not up to the standard that it should be to be on the field for Alabama in a big game. And I got to believe that's going to be addressed. So we'll see about that. But I, I just, I don't know. I think, I think Bama fans, one of the best things about having Nick Saban as your head coach is you get to enjoy an unprecedented run of success. But one of the worst things is you totally forget how valuable winning is. And I got a lot of buddies blowing up the eye, Josh, last 24 hours who want to sit there and complain and not understand how hard it is to even do what Bama just did. If Florida put that level of effort into facing any other team in America yesterday, it is my belief the University of Florida would have been 1-0 yesterday. Had they all had to come into the swamp, had they all faced that level of pushback from Florida, I believe everyone else in the country would have gone 0-1 yesterday. Take it. The same way you took that win against Ole Miss last year, the same way you took that 14-13 win against Arkansas a few years ago, take it, be happy with it. And if you still don't really get it, 
and you're of any age, why don't you channel uh, late 80s version of yourself or early 2000s version of yourself and tell yourself, hey, self, we're going to go to Florida. Now, we're going to win, but it's not uh, it's, it's going to be it's going to suck. I mean, we don't even know if we're going to be able to repeat as national champs this year. What does yourself from back in the day say? He just slapped you. Your own self just slapped you. Now, figure out how that works. So Alabama wins. They move on. Florida, it will all be determined in the future as to the value of what happened yesterday. I, as I have mentioned and will continue to mention in the very next segment we're going to do, was on the road yesterday, and I wish, as usual, that I could just wear goggles where you could see my vantage point. The tailgate scene at Penn State was incredible. I am told the tailgate scene was something to behold in Gainesville. And again, by the dozens and dozens, we got screenshots of you guys buying Academy Sports and Outdoor Gear, and I've been sending them. Every single time you guys tag me, I'm sending it right off to them, and I am bombarding them. Because you know what one thing they never get tired of seeing is? Their product fly off the shelves. And that's what's happening with our audience. So, man, it was a beautiful scene yesterday. And whatever you needed or whatever you're going to need when the weather starts to turn a little bit more and you're more apt to be out there in that tailgate scene or elsewhere, whatever you need, they got it at Academy Sports and Outdoors, the official outdoor sporting goods supplier of the Big 12 and the SEC and Late Kick. And if you can't get to a store or you just don't feel like leaving or if it's last minute, academy.com is your hookup. And, again, I ask you, if slash when you make a purchase, I don't care if it's a grill or a keychain, tag me in it. Screenshot it, tag me, let me see it, because I love it, because it makes me feel good, because it makes it feel like we're doing something substantial here. So academy.com, Academy Sports and Outdoors, really, really love the partnership we have with them. Let me clap, uh, because we have, we have an experience, not just a game, but an experience to talk about here. Penn State beats Auburn last night, 28-20. You guys who have watched the show any length of time know that in the spring months, I'm part of a storm chasing team. Love it. It is equally as great a passion of mine as college football is. And so I have been blessed enough, as I define it, you may define it as insanity, but I've been blessed enough to see tornadoes in person before. And it's the most majestic, awesome, awe-inspiring act of nature, act of God that you could experience. Man can't create that. Man can't duplicate that. But as far as man-made spectacle goes, I've never witnessed anything comparable to what I was a part of last night and what a lot of you were a part of either in person or watching on TV last night. Uh, 110,000 strong, the whiteout at Happy Valley, Penn State beat Auburn, and even some of the Auburn folks I talked with privately before and afterwards said, look, we would have loved to have come up here and gotten the W, but this is something 30 years from now we'll be talking about. We'll be talking about a narrow loss, but we'll be talking about the experience. And who knows what we go on to do, but we'll be talking about the experience. I would encourage you, um, if you have opportunities to do this in the future, if you have opportunities, if you can even remotely swing it financially, when they do this again, maybe later this year against Michigan, but certainly any given year when they do that, go. I don't care if you don't root for Penn State. I don't care if you're totally agnostic to the Big Ten in general. Go. Make it a point. Make it bucket list destination, priority A. Make sure you get to a whiteout at Penn State. There's nothing like it in college football. I've been to all the big venues. I'm telling you, I've been everywhere at, at every time of day. Never experienced anything like that last night. I was driving back to Pittsburgh in the middle of the night. 
and my ears rung the whole way there in the best of ways. The crowd synergy is something that is so incredible to behold. Crowd synergy is an underrated thing because you can be at a place where there are a lot of people, but the synergy is something different because if you are in a place where it's 90,000 folks, but they're acting as 90,000 individuals, it is completely a different thing than 110,000 folks acting in unison, yelling in unison, almost, well, not almost, it is choreographed in nature. This is some of the footage I shot last night. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, just kind of walked out there on the field, no big deal. Unbelievable. Kind of like a WWF pay-per-view back in the day. I used to watch those things and say, boy, I can't imagine what that must be like in real life. Well, this was it. This is like seeing WrestleMania, but they played a football game instead. You know, WrestleMania and Beaver Stadium wouldn't be a bad idea, Colin. Let's get me their number. We'll call them afterwards. But you're so immersed in the moment. And I really appreciate it because you know how we feel about regular season college football around here and how it trumps everything. And I'm telling you, in this moment, if you're watching right now, no one in their right mind is thinking about where we'll be for the college football playoff. All they're thinking about, and all you were thinking as you were watching on TV, is here we are September 18th, the year of our Lord 2021, on this Saturday night. This right here is the center of the college football universe. And boy, was it. So happy to be there. I know it was an incredible scene in Gainesville. I can just tell you, I did not regret making the decision that I made to go there last night. It was a brochure. Penn State in a whiteout environment is a brochure for everything that is right about college football and everything that makes this the greatest sport on the face of the earth. And I got to tell you now, I, in fact, I sent you guys some video of this. And I, want, I posted on Twitter, but I want you to see it. I'm down in Penn State's tunnel. I always like to be there when teams arrive. Uh, partly because I like to get you some footage and partly because I just like to feel it when they come in. So in Beaver Stadium, obviously it's a very old um, building. And so it's constructed obviously different than some of these newer NFL type facilities where a locker room's totally separate from where crowds would be and you're totally isolated. You know, civilians and players would never interact. Well, at Penn State, home and away team, they got to walk through a corridor where they have to coordinate off where otherwise fans would be coming through. So I walk up Penn State's tunnel, and I'm there waiting for the buses to come in, and a funny thing happened that I wasn't really ready for. I just happened to be right place, right time. They opened the gates for the student section. And so if you've ever watched The Lion King, right before Simba's dad gets killed, you know this is going to be sad, but it's going to have a happy ending for us. Right before Simba's dad gets trampled to death by the wildebeest, you start to hear the rumble, and you can tell something's coming. That's exactly what this sounded like. Around the corner, you started to hear, I don't know if it's a rumble, but you just started to hear something get louder and louder and louder. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, they've opened the gates and it's first come, first serve. It's the first one who gets there, gets the seat in the student section. And so I had to jump out of the way or else I was going to go the way of Simba's dad. I was going to get trampled to death, not by wildebeests, but by Penn State students. And I don't even think they would have slowed down because there were bigger stakes in play at that point. And I wouldn't have blamed them. Trisha Pate back home may have, but I would not have blamed them. Awesome environment. Awesome to see. And no one wanted to leave afterwards. I promise you, I'm about to break down the game, but I wanted to give you an extended feel about what this atmosphere was like. After the game, I am out there. James Franklin took his sweet time as well he should have exiting that facility And so I followed him, as a stalker tends to do. I followed James Franklin. I did it for you, not for me. And there he is, just waving, I think, to the folks on the International Space Station. 
And so James Franklin afterwards, you know, he walks over. But I want you to know, he's already done two interviews on the field by this point. Do you see the stands? Are you looking at this? And if you're not, you know, I'll get you a more zoomed out vantage point in just a second. Look at that place. This is 15 minutes after this game has ended. And it went on a little ways after this. No one left. No one wanted to leave. It wasn't the greatest thing for traffic afterwards because I didn't get out of there until about 2 a.m. Had a 7 a.m. flight this morning. But no one wanted to leave. Everyone just wanted to soak it in, which is kind of emblematic of what those moments sort of engender inside of you. That's what it's about. It's about moments. College football is about regular season moments. It is not about playoffs. Playoffs are just a cherry on top. This is the Sunday. Playoff can be your sauce, but this is the stake, the regular season. And that was awesome last night. So this was a great game to be at. It was a great game to watch. It was everything we expected stylistically. There was no point in this game where anyone started to pull away. There was no point where someone built some insurmountable three-possession lead. But it also wasn't quite as rock fight-ish as we thought it would be. There were some points scored. They, they just about hit the over in this game, which I didn't think was much of a possibility. Uh, they had to have a touchdown called back to avoid the thing going over. But there was no extended drought in scoring. And I'll tell you what I thought was very admirable for Auburn, even in a loss. I can't overstate enough how impossible it should have been to function as an offense in that environment last night. If you follow me on Instagram, go play that story and listen to the crowd noise. I shot all that from field level. Just listen to it. Turn your volume up and listen to it. And then imagine having to actually play quarterback in that. So Bo Nix did not put up an all-SEC caliber performance last night. It could have been a lot worse. I think we can all acknowledge that, especially given what everyone expected. Multiple interceptions is what you expected coming in. They responded, they being Auburn, responded with two touchdown drives after Penn State had scored touchdowns themselves. That is a moment that I think is very underrated because Auburn goes on to lose this game. But that's a moment where in the past and maybe present, you would expect them to go what a lot of coaches would call rat trap, which means deer in headlights, you are totally phased by not only what your opponent has done, something external, but you're also phased heavily by the environment. Again, something external. And they did not operate flawlessly, but Auburn was able to answer a couple of times. I'll tell you what I thought the turning point in this game was going to be. It was nearing halftime. Penn State's already up, and they are driving. And Zacoby McLean, who ends up getting ejected in very BS fashion later in the game, he puts a hit on Sean Clifford that ends up making Clifford float a ball, and it forces an interception right there at the goal line. Now, it's innocuous because Penn State still has the lead. They go on to win the game. But the reason it ended up not mattering as much is because Auburn not only stole a possession there and they kept points off the board, Auburn got the ball to start the second half. The reason you don't remember it is because Auburn turned the ball over. That's the turning point in this game. That is what keeps Auburn from maybe having this be, instead of them chasing points at the end of the game, it be a tie game and they're trying to drive to win. Because I thought that was a huge hinge point that gets overlooked again because Auburn ends up losing the game. But man, when they immediately turned it over to start the second half, you could feel it. You could feel it start to shift in the building. You could feel it start to shift on the Penn State sidelines. The box score started to shift. That total yardage ended up not being a big edge at all. I think it was one yard difference. But that was only Auburn closing that gap at the very end because the critical factors had started to tilt pretty heavily towards Penn State. But let me tell you something. Sean Clifford, a ton of credit deserved here, 28 of 32. That is not something I would have ever expected. If you told me Sean Clifford's stat line was only going to have four incompletions, honestly, I would have thought he must have gone four for eight early and got knocked out of the game because I never thought that would be possible. But credit 
credit the offensive line because there was something Wisconsin did against Sean Clifford in week one that Auburn didn't do, and that is get pressure on him consistently. He had time. I even think some of their coaching staff at Penn State was probably a little surprised at how much time he had. Uh, One of the first plays in the game, he stood back there and I think had time to yawn, check his watch, and wave to someone in the crowd and then make a pass. And it wasn't like that all night, but Auburn consistently struggled to get pressure on him. But I I think there's a lot to take away here, kind of like we talked about with Florida. Ultimately, the positives you can take away from a loss are defined by how you use them down the road. So if Auburn goes into the tank, this doesn't matter. But if they springboard into the rest of the season, if they are a significant challenge to Georgia in a few weeks at home in Jordan-Hare Stadium, instead of having to go where they went last night, which was like 10 hornet's nests, then it matters. But for Penn State, this totally invalidates 2020 and all the negatives. So it invalidates it in a positive way. Uh, This was the most crucial factor coming into 2021. Remember, we talked about that Wisconsin game in week one. And I said, so much is going to hinge on the outcome of this game. It's probably unfair, but so much is going to hinge on the outcome of this game. Because 2020 is fresh in everyone's mind, but at the same time, everyone's willing to forgive 2020 as long as you give them a reason to. Well, they got outgained, they got outbox scored in week one, but they found a way to win, and that's all people remember. They won, and then they won again, and now they've won again, and all of a sudden, guess what Penn State's doing? They're climbing, climbing, climbing. I had them fifth in the JP poll last week. There is no flawless team out there. There is no perfect team out there. Everything's in front of Penn State. You can't imagine what kind of world of good it does Sean Clifford to finally have a game like that last night. I mean, I watched him circle the entire stadium, by the way. Afterwards, if you watched the broadcast, you saw when Holly Rowe interviewed Sean Clifford and James Franklin. They can tell you it's just one game after the next, all they want, and every game's equal. Uh, They're not. Last night meant a whole lot. Last night, someone with an SEC sticker on their helmet came into their building, and they beat them. And they beat them, whereas some people thought, even though they were favored, there was significant reason to doubt Penn State. Well, they're always going to have reason to doubt you until you shut them up. And I'm not saying Penn State completely zippered everyone's mouth last night, but that's okay, because that's a process in and of itself. You've dropped some of these big games. Now it's time to win a string of them in a row. They've started that. Wisconsin, check. Auburn, check. Now you look down the road. Eventually, we got Indiana. Far be it for me to overlook Villanova. God bless Villanova. But we got Indiana down the road. There is that trip to Iowa looming on what I think is the biggest Saturday of the college football season. Uh, They're going to play Michigan eventually. You guys know how I feel the wardrobe should be handled for that game. They're going to go to Ohio State. There is a lot of very fascinating football in the future for Penn State. There are positives to be taken away for both of these programs. Brian Harson got to Auburn 15 minutes ago, and they hung for four quarters in what was the most hostile environment start to finish I've ever been a part of. I've been in a lot of hostile ones. This was an incredible scene. Strongly encourage you. Watch the replay if you haven't seen it, but go check out that Instagram story because I got like 30 minutes of footage for you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast uh let's move on here we still got a lot of games to get to uh you know miami got skull drugged by michigan state yesterday and i know the tendency for a lot of people is to look at miami because they're the program that parentally more is expected of than you eventually get, and you just want to trash Miami. But it's an interesting outcome here, if you really think about it, and i got a lot of games to get to, so stay tuned. This game does something that's very rare in college football. It leaves no debate on either side. You look at Miami, and there's no way that you defend the product on the field right now. Even the most diehard of Kane fan does not defend the product on the field. Everyone thinks they should be better. And then on the other side, there's no one that could do anything but give massive amounts of credit to what Mel Tucker has done at Michigan State. I don't care how you feel about the programs. How could you disagree with those two sentiments right now? And if you'll think about where that program was, Michigan State, when Mel Tucker came in, a lot of people said, oh, they're massively overpaying for him, and this feels like a dead-in-the-water hire. This is why you don't judge hires based on press conferences and based on what newspaper headlines say and what web, he- web headlines say, because those people are not accountable, up to and including me. You know, even if I were to say something, I don't get fired if I'm wrong about something. They get fired if they lose games. We don't really get fired if we're wrong about stuff. Now, I try not to be, and I didn't hate on Mel Tucker's hire, but a lot of people out there did. Just keep that in mind because I'm going to talk about something when we wrap this uh, review of this game up that I think bears paying close attention to. But it was kind of a a surreal setting, because I was in Beaver Stadium at Penn State. I was watching this game, and I was watching the fourth quarter, and I'm watching Michigan State just continue to run it up, and I considered how many advantages Miami should have. I was over on the Michigan State 24-7 board today. Most of you understood what I was saying. Uh, One of you horribly miscontextualized what I was saying. Miami should have a lot of advantage over you because the sport is built, geography is built to give Miami an advantage over Michigan State. And yet that staff at Miami has been there longer than yours. They are a Power 5 program with a rich tradition parked in South Florida, and you went in there with a second-year staff, and one of those years is a COVID year where they didn't even really get to do anything with their players, and they took it to Miami. Immense amounts of credit are due to Mel Tucker and his staff because of this. The Miami issues, if you've watched them this year, 
It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. It's one of the worst tackling teams in college football right now. Uh, the drop balls that we talked about at the beginning of the year, still an issue. You're looking at Manny Diaz's record right now on the screen from the time he's been at Miami, and it's not good. It, it goes 6-7. and seven. Uh, Last year, there was some positivity to build off of, we thought, but now it's a 1-2 and two campaign so far, and that one win was narrow over Appalachian State. Now, they got Central Con coming in there this week who got housed by a directional Louisiana school yesterday. So they're going to win this week, but then they're going to dive into conference play. I don't know what to make of Miami. I've got a hard time seeing them get it back on the rails this year, but yet we all know there are programs every year who are left for dead around this time, around the third to quarter pole of the year, who end up putting together a run. But they are, you know, they're struggling to run the ball. There's just, there are a lot of issues Some of them are far too fundamental in nature. The tackling issue is just fundamental in nature. But I do want to point one thing out. Think anytime Miami loses games, there's always this tendency to say, well, they haven't recruited well enough. You know, they let that talent get out of South Florida. Some of that's true. We've talked about that on the show. The reason they lost to Michigan State is not a talent issue. And I'm going to tell you why. It's not a recruiting issue either. They've got good enough players to win these games. The reason I know that recruiting is not the determining factor is because the players they have haven't been developed to their maximum potential. It'd be one thing if Miami was squeezing every ounce of potential out of this current roster and they were just coming up short because their players weren't talented enough. They weren't good enough. That's not what's happening. You watch Miami and you think to yourself, there are probably several staffs out there that could get better results out of this roster. I'll tell you what I thought yesterday. I asked myself, what would Mel Tucker do with Miami's roster? And my answer was, I think he'd do something better than what I'm seeing right now. How can you say anything other than that? So again, I'm not one to immediately want to hit the dump button. I'm not not calling for hot seat or fire or anything like that. But you do have to demand accountability. I don't think I'm telling anyone anything that Manny Diaz hasn't already told himself and told his staff. I mean, these guys get it. But I'll tell you one thing, and here's something to think about. I just want you to marinate on this. We have talked a lot about Arkansas. I'm going to touch on the pigs before the end of the game. You need to think about the culture fit that's going on right here. Because Sam Pittman and that culture at Arkansas, they have meshed. That's PB&J. You listen to Mel Tucker talk. Does that guy not feel like Michigan State to you? There was a quote yesterday. This is Mel Tucker in the postgame. We wanted to drag them into the deep water where we are, where we live. With the strain and the struggle, the pain, the pressure, the weight room, the discipline, the attention to detail. Basically, what he's saying is, we got it, they don't, and we knew if we could get them out here, we'd prove it. And they did. That is Michigan State. If you cut Michigan State open, that's what bleeds out. That kind of mentality. Mel Tucker, we could go on to look at that as one of the most low-key genius hires in the last five or six years in college football. Sam Pittman could be that. Mel Tucker could be that. It's too early to tell. These could be anecdotal results, but I got to tell you, if they are at this point anecdotal, I'd much rather be on this side of the anecdotal argument than the uh, other side. So congratulations to Michigan State. They are undefeated. They are 3-0. and I thought I had written their schedule down. They, it's going to be interesting. Let me just say that. It's going to be interesting for Michigan State. Okay, we got several more games to get to. We're about to go rapid fire. Week three. Several added takeaways from week three in college football on top of what we've already talked about. How about Clemson, 14-8 to over Georgia Tech? I got to tell you, it felt a bit surreal for me to turn this game on in the Penn State press box yesterday and catch the ending of it and watch Clemson. You almost think you're looking at an optical illusion. Is this like a spring game? What, what am I looking at here? So I got Clemson backed up against their own goal line. 
oh, they don't have the ball. Georgia Tech's got the ball. Clemson is having to put forth a goal line stand to keep the Jackets from going ahead at the end of the regulation. I mean, they could win the game. And I'm looking, and Director Collin put it uh, more directly than any of us could before the show tonight. Clemson scored half the amount of points they were favored by. Uh, They still won the game. They hung 14. They won the game. They were favored by 28. I'm about to read you a stat that I saw written earlier today. I can't remember where I saw it. This is mind-boggling. Out of all the teams in the ACC, Clemson has the lowest yards per play of any of them. They are the worst offense in the conference in terms of yards per play. They are 122nd in the nation. There's only 130 teams at last check some odd, uh, in terms of yards per play. When they lost to Georgia, I came on the show the following night, and I said, all I heard last night was, well, Clemson's got to get a lot fixed before the playoff. And there was just this assumption. Well, they're going to win every every other game. They'll be favored, you know, so they'll win every other game. Again, listen to that on the podcast or you're watching on YouTube. That's paper. Games aren't played on it. If they were, this would have been a runaway. They're not. Some of the same issues that we watched plague Clemson in week one that we thought was just because of a dominant Georgia defense, maybe it wasn't just because of a a dominant Georgia defense. Uh, Maybe this offense is not good. Maybe DJ Oyangale is not what he was hyped to be to this point. Now, the reason why I struggle with that concept is because I've got a sneaking suspicion that if I took DJU and I put him in Alabama's offense, I don't think he'd be struggling like this. There are a lot of people out there in the scouting world who think Clemson's offensive approach needs overhauling. Again, that's something above my pay grade. I'm not about to pull the uh, grease board down here because we don't have one. Uh, But even if we did, I wouldn't do it. But I'm just telling you, that's the talk. Kind Kind of behind the water cooler, kind of behind the curtain. That's the talk. And again, the anecdotal evidence would lead you to believe, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So Clemson wins. They go to NC State this week. They're favored by just under two touchdowns. They got to score more than 14 to cover. I pretty much know that. Wake Forest just ran all over Florida State yesterday, 35-14 to 14 the final. Uh, this, was, this was a woodshedding, so Wake had 166 more total yards. They ran 38 more plays than did Florida State, 38. Uh, they had 12 more first downs. Why? Well, half a dozen turnovers probably had something to do with it from Florida State. And so when we came into this year, Granted, it was a long shot. I acknowledge that. But we had some, some fringe hope that maybe there'd be some magic with Mackenzie Milton. And that only got exclamated in week one when they almost beat Notre Dame. And it has been downhill since then. You lose to Jacksonville State. Uh, you get thrashed by Wake Forest. And now, I mean, we're looking at Miami and we're asking these questions. We're looking at Florida State and we're asking these questions. And all the while, you just if you're the rest of college football, knowing how pivotal it would be for balancing out the sport long-term in recruiting, for those two to get right, you just have to look and you have to shake your head. I know I do. And I know Florida State fans and Miami fans do. How about Ohio State? You look at the final score, 41 to 20. That's not bad. Hmm. Well, uh, if you go over to Bucknuts, they would disagree. If you talk to any of your resident Buckeye fans, they would probably disagree. Now, Travion Henderson didn't care. He set a new record for Ohio State, total uh, yards rushing in a game, 277. He uh, topped a guy, uh, oh man, Archie something, can't remember. I'm told he was pretty good there, though. So that was a good thing for Travion Henderson. However, we uh, talked last week about how there would be defensive changes at Ohio State, and there were, 
you know, Kerry Combs was not announced as being demoted, but yet there he was, Matt Barnes calling plays for him yesterday. Kerry Combs up in the box, Matt Barnes down on the field. The problem was the changes turned out to be more cosmetic than anything because all Ohio State did, as we told you last week when changes happen in season, was simplify. And the problem was it got simplified to the point where Tulsa figured out how to hang 500 total yards of offense on him. They had 428 yards passing, did Tulsa. All is not lost here for Ohio State. There are teams, as I've said before already on this show, there are teams every year that have a lot of talent that do not perform to the level of that collective talent early in the year. Clemson's done this before. They're hoping to do it this year. And then they eventually hit a stride. Ohio State, unlike some teams whose potential is already capped, Ohio State could hockey stick this thing. I know it's hard to see right now. It always is. Uh, That's the point of someone surprising you. But Ryan Day and his staff, just they've got to go to work. They've got to do a great coaching job. That's it. The hallmark of what ends up being a really good team is it improves week over week. And right now you're not seeing the improvement. That's not a good thing. Uh, There is good news, and that is the season is still very young. And Ohio State is, well, obviously they're undefeated in conference play, uh, but they've still got everything in front of them. Everything they wanted to accomplish theoretically is still in front of them. But man, it's got to start hockey sticking. It's got to start elevating eventually. Oklahoma struggled mightily with Nebraska yesterday. It was the fewest total Oklahoma points in a win since 2013. 23 to 16 was the final. I got, uh, I got an Oklahoma buddy who hits me up regularly during games. I normally leave him alone because nothing good comes from talking about the game during the game. But after, he wanted to talk about the offense. And here's the best way I can sum it up. For anyone who hasn't watched Oklahoma or didn't see this game yesterday, it's like watching a long drive specialist walk onto a golf course and not be able to sink a five-foot putt to save his life. Oklahoma, it's all they want to do. They want to blast you over the top. But the problem is defensive coordinators are wise to it, and they can't take advantage of favorable boxes underneath, and they can't take advantage of loose coverage underneath. There's no consistent ground and pound. There's no consistent underneath route techniques or anything like that. Concepts, not techniques. And so they, they just essentially get Barry odom to death. This is what Barry Odom does at Arkansas all the time. That's what happened with Nebraska yesterday. And that's how an an offense that should be explosive hangs 23 total points. Again, that is up to a coaching staff to fix because you're never going to look at me if you're Oklahoma and you're never going to say, well, I know how to fix it, but we don't have the pieces to fix it. Nope, that's not going to work. That's not because there's someone out there this year. There's someone out there this week that's doing far more with far less. So that's not going to fly. But they did win. And that's the important part. North Carolina had a very underrated big win yesterday. North Carolina 59, Virginia 39. This was pivotal. Unlike some of these teams who have lost already, North Carolina's lost a conference game. If they would have fallen to 0-2 in conference yesterday, and they were only favored by 7 or 8 once this game kicked off, that would have been no bueno. That would have been bad, bad news. And they trailed at halftime of this thing, but they won the second half to the tune of 35 to 11. And I want to read you a quote. You know I love bulletin board material. Uh, I say that sarcastically, but hey, when it works, it works. So these words came from the mouth of Virginia defensive lineman Mandy Alonzo this week. Quote, they always try to come physical. It's our culture versus theirs. 
we're going to go harder, longer each play and the whole game than they will. Even if they come out swinging, we just have to be able to sustain it, and we know they can't sustain it because the past four years, they haven't been able to. North Carolina proceeded to hang 59 points. Uh, They proceeded to run for like half a mile. Our guy Ty Chandler had nearly 200 on the ground and a couple of scores. Suffice it to say, the Tar Heels sustained against Virginia and then some yesterday. And I want to point out, you have looked around the rest of the landscape of college football. This is not a land of giants this year. It's a land of taller and still pretty tall. And if I jump, I can still reach you. It's that kind of year this year. A lot of folks can be had. And so there's going to be a team who is left for dead early in the year and ends up grabbing a playoff spot. It's going to happen. I, I can already tell you it's, it, it's either going to happen or they're going to push someone to the very brink uh, and they're going to be a factor, a mainstay in that playoff conversation. Right now, North Carolina has been left for dead. You didn't watch this game in all likelihood yesterday. You watched them in week one. They couldn't move the ball against Virginia Tech. They couldn't do anything. And you said, there goes North Carolina with three and a half more months of football to play. You dismissed a team that's very talented. Well, I didn't. I was disappointed in week one, but I didn't dismiss them. And so just give them a little time. You never know. Crazy sport, this college football. So someone's going to be left for dead, and they're going to make it. Why not North Carolina? And lastly, speaking of making it, anyone see Cincinnati yesterday? Indiana did. Uh, in Cincinnati wins 38-24. to Michael Penix for Indiana. Three more interceptions. It is a chronic issue at this point. It is what Indiana offense has become known for, and that's not a good thing because otherwise, you look at the box score, this was an evenly played game. It's just being minus two turnovers uh, is usually going to end poorly for you. I've said this repeatedly since the summer. I'm going to say it again even more emphatically. You guys are making it a lot more complicated than you need to with Cincinnati. I am telling you, whether you want to believe it right now or not, it is very basic. If this team wins out, they're going to be in the playoff. That's as far as I'm going to talk about playoff in September. A lot of you still think 14 different things need to fall perfectly in line, and this tumbler has to go here, and that team's got to lose two games. It's a different world. Seven years' worth of wisdom on how this playoff format works is working against you because the status quo has changed. The perception of the American Athletic Conference has changed. This team started preseason top 10. They were already in the conversation. They're not having to work their way into it. They've got an established track record. If Cincinnati wins out, they're going to be in the playoff. That's independent of whatever happens out there elsewhere. I've already seen enough. And I've already seen teams that have lost struggle mightily against inferior competition that they end up beating. There are not going to be these hurdles of resumes that Cincinnati can't overcome this year. It's a different format. It's a different landscape. So I know you'll have to see it to believe it. You know I don't beat the G5 drum by any stretch. uh, But it doesn't matter what I root for to happen. That's going to happen. If they win out, that's going to happen. Some quick hitters that I wanted to get to, and then I'm going to hand out our best bets. Ole Miss won yesterday, 61-21 to 21 over Tulane. This was, what, they, they were up like 61-0 like halfway through the third quarter. It was, a, it was a bloodbath. You remember when we started Ole Miss at 14th in the JP poll and a lot of you laughed? Of course, you have predictably gone into ghost mode on me. Uh, they are now 13th, I think, in the AP, which is laughable because I dare you, if you're an AP voter, I dare you to take a paycheck Put it on the table and find me 12 teams you'd pick to beat Ole Miss on a neutral field tomorrow. Notre Dame in the AP is ranked ahead of Ole Miss. 
And I'm telling you, there is not a person with a sane head on their shoulders who would, beat, who would pick Notre Dame to beat Ole Miss tomorrow, neutral field. If you, if you would, you need to have that vote taken away from you. So I say that to say, we have long since had Ole Miss in the top 10. This is one of the 10 best teams in America. You want to know what they have this week? Nothing. They got to buy, and then they're going to play Alabama. Doesn't that sound fun? What about Michigan? The old, for better or for worse, Michigan, they've got an offensive identity. Uh, they just sledgehammered Northern Illinois yesterday. 63-10 to 10 was the final. It was 63-3 to 3 at the end of the third quarter. Exact same formula they used in the Washington game. It was nearly a 3-1 to one run-to-pass ratio. They had 17 passes. They had 48 runs. And as part of that 48 runs, they had 373 yards, 7.8 per carry. They are 3-0. and Their next four games, Michigan's next four games, Rutgers, going to be fun, at Wisconsin, at Nebraska, and against Northwestern. Michigan's got an identity. That's as far as I'll go. The JP poll loves them. JP poll had them 13 last week. A lot of you laughed at that too. That's fine. Notice the teams you laugh at, they haven't really gone anywhere. Iowa State has, but we, excuse me, they, it's the day when they lose. Uh, they still have a shot too. They took care of business at UNLV last night. They had like a five to one crowd at managed 3,000 miles away from home, but they did take care of business. Hey, Arkansas, this is a little tip of the cap. I know it wasn't on any highlight show, but you deserve credit when you do what you're supposed to do. Arkansas beat Georgia Southern 45-10 yesterday. Now, in retrospect, I hate these kinds of games because people look at it leading up, and this is one of those whisper games. You got, it, you got your buddy. Everyone knows a guy like this. He says, ooh, Arkansas, man, big win against Texas. Let down mode. Who's coming in? Georgia Southern. They're only favored by 23. Upset alert. And then when they win, the same dude says, eh, it's just Georgia Southern. Pick a lane, man. Pick a lane. Now, Arkansas did not play a flawless game yesterday. Uh, they were sloppy. They had penalty issues. That's what makes it all the more beautiful that they still won by five touchdowns. As Trey Biddy touched on, haven't been able to watch the walk and talk yet. It's my favorite show of the week. Like, your entourage is my Trey Biddy walk and talk. Just, uh, just an unhealthy fascination at this point, as pointed out on the Arkansas 24-7 board with the walk and talk. But as Biddy pointed out, uh, if you are a season ticket holder, if you're a lifelong fan of Arkansas, you remember several times these kind of teams coming into Reynolds Razorback Stadium and winning, in some cases comfortably. So yeah, sloppy in a five-touchdown win, you'll take it. And now this week, it's Arkansas versus Texas A&M in Dallas. We will be there. The Renaissance Tour is headed to Dallas. Speaking of A&M, it was our favorite bet of the week. We had a minus 25 and a half. They beat New Mexico 34 to nothing. I cannot tell you how much I love betting backup quarterbacks. We did it with Kansas State this week in one. We did it with Calzada and Texas A&M in one. You give me a backup quarterback, and I'll tell you who I'm betting on. Love it. Absolutely love it. They held New Mexico to 122 yards of total offense. That's 2.1 yards per play, friends. They are on to conference play now. A&M's opening conference play this week. LSU, they did something that deserves some credit. They, they won a game. That deserves credit. But LSU beat Central Michigan, I would say surprisingly, convincingly, yesterday. 30 or 49 to 21 was the final. They badly needed this. It will be overlooked. LSU's win will be overlooked because, again, they were supposed to do it. You know what the spread on this thing was? It was 19 and a half, I think. Uh, that's pretty low. When you've got a directional school from Michigan, from the MAC coming in to LSU, 
that's a low spread. And they end up winning it. They take care of business. They are favored this week, are the LSU Tigers, on the road at Mississippi State. They're favored by, I think, four is what it opened at. They have got a badly banged-up roster. This is something to follow as the week progresses. I was over on Go247 before the show tonight, and that list is lengthy of the amount of players that are either doubtful or out or questionable. Uh, I think they added to it with a couple of guys yesterday, too soon to know what their status will be, but four. That's the line. A&M's favored by four over Arkansas. LSU favored by four against Mississippi State. Uh, There will be a lot of money line action on dogs this week, I can assure you. And Texas upholds the number one rule of late kick, which of course is don't lose to food. Texas 58, rice, zip. Zip, a donut for rice, if you will. Uh, It was the score at the end of the third quarter, by the way. So 44 to nothing at halftime. Texas had no interest in even entertaining food yesterday. Casey Thompson had seven touchdown drives on his first eight possessions. And Sark afterwards had this to say about his quarterback situation. There's something about Casey Thompson when he gets into the game, the ball goes down the field. I would imagine Casey will take the lead at quarterback heading into our game against Texas Tech and that Hudson Card will get an opportunity to play as well. I guess at this point, this is best case scenario. In Casey We Trust. Remember when we updated the Texas Mood Tracker? It's in Casey We Trust. One loss does not derail anything. The playoff crowd will tell you once you lose, once you're done. Well, they're idiots, so don't listen to them. Texas has one loss on their resume. It was in an extremely hostile environment against a very good Arkansas team. Uh, They licked their wounds. They immediately got up off the map. They took care of Rice. Now they're going into conference play. They've still got a lot. They've still got everything in front of them. If Texas wins every game the rest of the way, they'll be in the playoff. Do you realize that? They've still got everything to play for. If they win the rest of their games, they'll be a Big 12 champion. Does everyone realize that? And so there's still plenty to play for at Texas. Do not listen to these people, including in your own family, in your own household, if they're doing so. They tell you, well, we lost a game. We're out of it. You're out of it. You go sit over there by the garbage and think about some things, and we're going to have fun over here because we only get 12 of these a year. So those were some things that I noticed on the old plane ride home this morning, trying to stay awake. But I'll tell you what a lot of you noticed. Uh, the Ramen Noodle Express chugged its way to a 5-2 and two record yesterday. We are now 62% against the number to start the season, which was even better than we did last year. That is an extremely hard number to uphold, but we're going to do our, our level best. We have moved on four games already this week. Uh, it's going to be a heavy week. It, well, I told you last week. We were going to go more than five. We did. And even after that, on the late night Friday Night Lions chat on Instagram Live, I handed out like seven or eight more leans. They went seven and one. And those weren't even our official bets. I don't count them in the record. But I did count the ones that we made official. So we were five and two this week. Here are the four games that we're already on. If you did not jump on the first game, you have already missed this number. When we put it out earlier today, it was available. As of right now, and let me make sure because uh, I don't want to be lying to you while we're on live YouTube here in front of the world. But we were on Army. Oh, go figure. Internet freezes. So we got Army minus six and a half at home against Miami, Ohio. It is over seven now. Do not touch it there. We will reconvene later in the week. I want that at six and a half. Army minus six and a half. Uh, we've got Central Michigan minus ten and a half. They're at home against Florida International. We have got Utah State plus nine and a half. They are facing Boise at home and San Jose State 
plus one and a half going on the road to face Western Michigan. Those are four games we've already moved on. San Jose State plus one and a half, Utah State plus nine and a half, Central Michigan minus ten and a half. We want Army under the touchdown, minus six and a half. I will tell you, the model just absolutely loves um, – who was it? Who's Colorado playing? I can't remember. Whoever Colorado's playing, or it may have been Colorado, the model loves them so much so that I think it's broken because the number it spat out can't possibly be true. And so uh, I'm, I have some hesitation on that one, so I did not hand that one out. I will tell you who it is. It's Colorado, Arizona State, and the model just loves Colorado, which is interesting because the model loved Minnesota yesterday. And we're sitting there quibbling over two and a half or three, and it wouldn't move to three, so I didn't hand it out as an official. Minnesota won 30 to nothing. Turns out that half point didn't really matter all that much. But the games we moved on, we did very good on. So those are the four we're on so far. Make sure you're following. I can assuredly tell you we're going over five best bets this week. And um, really having fun with that. That Friday night chat is really fun. So we'll get into Dallas this Friday night eventually, and uh, we will... We'll do it again. We'll try and stay hot. I know there is a dogs247.com convention. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. Whatever you people are doing here in Nashville Friday. But I've been told I have an invite from one Rusty Mansell. Still waiting on final details, but I may be able to swing by. It is, after all, walking distance from the old apartment. So we got a very, very exciting week coming up. Notre Dame plays Wisconsin and Chicago this week. We're going to A&M versus Arkansas and Dallas. And uh, you have made it all possible. So thank you so much for that. For Director Colin, for our entire crew in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great start to your week. Thanks for watching, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.